Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy. This season is all about intentional comfort, and we'll be taking a look at the crossroads of the inspiration, intention, and action that you can take to bring more comfort and joy to your everyday. This is your host, Paula Jenkins. Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy. This week's show features an interview with Signe Myers Hovum. She is a spiritual counselor and energy worker and the author of The Space In Between, an empath's field guide. If you are a highly sensitive person, if you have a sense that you may be an empath, then I think you're going to get a lot out of this conversation. And it ties so closely in to this whole theme of intentional comfort this year because If you are someone who is highly sensitive or an empath, then you know that navigating this world and noticing the energy around people and places and things, it can be a lot. I'm really excited about bringing on Signe Myers Hovum. It was a really fun conversation that we got to have. And we talk about what is a functional empath, what is empathy versus being an empath, what's the difference. We also talk about how to mind your energy and holding space. What is that? How can you do that without having your own energy drained? And how to set up strong boundaries with people, places, or things. So you can begin to notice if you feel an energetic drain from a place, you can kind of notice it and decide if you want to get involved further or if you're just going to notice it and move along. I feel like these are such powerful skills for all of us to have to notice when our energy starts to feel low or We start to sense something in an environment, and Signe really has a beautiful way of explaining all of this. If you want to find out more about this conversation, of course, you can find show notes on the website at jumpstartyourjoy.com. It'll be right on the homepage right now, or you can find episode notes for this one in your podcasting app. Of course, if you're not already a follower of Jumpstart Your Joy, please head on over to your favorite podcasting app, search for it, and then hit follow. And then each week, you'll get those episodes downloaded to your mobile device, and you can just click right through to find any of the resources and links that I'm sharing in the episode or any of these classes that I have coming up. So that's the place to do this. That's where you find the info. And I'm so excited to bring Signe on. Welcome to the show, Signe Myers-Hovum. Thank you for having me, Paula. I'm really happy to be here. I mean, this conversation I already know is just going to be so, so fun. Before we get to it, though, the first question that I like to ask everyone is, would you tell us what you loved most as a child or in school? What were your earliest sparks of joy? For me, I would have to say nature. I grew up beside a national forest. And so very early on, it was my playground with no boundaries (laughs) And just a lot of wilderness, you know, natural, authentic, and raw. And also my cat. I have a cat as a child named Sparkle. So, um, and Sparkle was kind of like my little companion that, you know, she would sit on my shoulders as I would walk. And as soon as we'd get to open meadows, you know, she would, you know, stay with the trees because there were coyotes but I, I had this adventure with my cat yeah. and that was a lot of joy as well as reading. Reading offered me a lot of opportunity to wonder about the world. Yes. Oh, I love all of them, especially the idea of traveling with a cat and having adventures. Um, we lived on the brink of a, a forest in Minnesota and there was something magical, especially because right at that time, Little House in the Prairie was really big. I felt like I might be the next coming of Laura Ingalls Wilder. And, you know, there was that like, I'm going to go get them and we're going to make forts in the woods and stuff. So 
Yeah. We'll talk about joy in the little house on the prairie. It's like those, I think it was farmer boy where the, basically the whole book was just talking about making food. And I was like, man, that was the first foodie book out there. It's so true. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but I guess, yeah, Almanzo's family, they knew a thing or two about how to cook. That's amazing. Well, and you of course have written this amazing book, The Space in Between an Empaths Field Guide. What brought you to writing that or what in your own background brought you to, to writing this book? I, I'm glad you asked that because um, I'm a spiritual counselor and I started in 2003 in Houston. And as a spiritual counselor, I also did energy work. Um, I worked in the nature of consciousness and helping people come back to themselves. And what I found increasingly was, and this was, you know, just after Dr. Elaine Aaron wrote and popularized the term highly sensitive person, mm -hmm. there were books coming out about HSPs. And then suddenly you were seeing in mainstream media conversations about sensitive and empathic people. And in particular, I was on a lunch break at a grocery store and there was an Oprah magazine with an article on the front cover as a subtitle called uh, Beware of the Sponge People. And I was really curious about this. Um, one, I was excited that something of this topic was on a mainstream media cover, but I was curious about the title choice, Beware, it sounded alarming. So I read the, the article, it had a lot of good advice, but a lot of it centered around um, the idea of protection. And I know that Harry Potter was coming out around that time. So maybe the publisher was capitalizing on some of that language, but they would have subtitles like the dark arts and it, it made it very uh, fear-based. And as I read this, I realized that the person or maybe the audience even didn't quite understand what empathic sensitivities are mm -hmm. um, and what are the mechanics of it. And I'm a very practical person in the sense that I want to re-engineer something to understand it. I want to understand its function. I want to understand its purpose. And for me, you know, I knew I was empathic. I knew I'm highly sensitive as well. I knew you could be both things, but none of the information I was reading out there wasn't really spending much time on the empathic part. It was more about, you know, hallelujah, we have a label HSP and let's just focus on that. So come fast forward 25 years or so from then. And I think there is enough consensus that this umbrella of one label of highly sensitive, it doesn't, it's not one size fit all. And the people who are empathic are suddenly feeling maybe like it doesn't completely explain their sensitivities. And so that was really my starting point of, let me be a guide. Let me help demystify this because knowledge is power. And when you can understand something, it's so much easier to um, relate to it and to conceptualize it. Mm -hmm. But when we have an unknown and you have a lot of like media or, um, you know, you have other people, authorities, cultural authorities trying to define it without any direct experience of it itself. It creates a lot of fear and it creates a lot of the misperception of powers. And yeah, so that, that was really how I came into writing about this. Yeah. And I appreciate that because I know in my, my own 
journey. Mm-hmm. I feel like I probably am a highly sensitive person and and lean into being a, a functional empath if I can. Yeah. I mean, but then there's also this piece and it it's how much do we say yes to it? Because then what happens when you open the door? Because you're not sure what's going to happen. And, and so I think it's interesting that what you're saying is like popular media started covering it as something fearful and dark arts, because I think we're all a little bit nervous about what's on the other side of it if we say yes. Well, what you're saying yes to is actually the most authentic part of you. This is one of the things I wanted to communicate to people is that your higher sensory reception is hardwired into your nervous system. And I went through a period where I was, you know, separation consciousness, there's the energetic and there's the physical, there's my intuition, there's my instincts. And almost thinking that there was a whole separate sort of mysterious way that I was receiving information from the environment. When in fact, they're not doing a timeshare, you know, they they are both part of your nervous system and and saying yes to it, you know, yeah, there, there may be some moments where you don't feel completely, you understand everything going on, but that is part of life Um, experiencing something and then processing it or uh, having a perception about it is partly how we even develop empathy. And so with each new thing, you know, and with each new thing, you get to collectively enhance and upgrade your own consciousness and your own awareness of what it means to be in a body in this world. Yeah. Well, and I'm thinking we probably close that side off because it it does get labeled as something else, but animals for sure are reacting to things, I would guess, like, you know in migration or whatever, like how do these things come about? It can't just be because they tell each other to do it or whatever. Like there's something, there's a connection there between an environment and signals that they understand that I'm not picking up on, or maybe I am, and I'm just not recognizing them. Or you're picking them up and you're dismissing them. One of the things I say as a distinction between an HSP and an empathic person is an empathic person will entertain was at my imagination. Mm-hmm. more times than not when they feel something. Whereas a highly sensitive person is more or less dealing with the sensory processing, you know, and so they're not questioning or they're not doubting themselves. And so that's why I think it's important for people to really know the source of their sensitivities because the HSP has a pretty solid therapeutic environment they can go to for support. Whereas a clairsentient or an empathic person really needs to work with their intuition, developing trust, learning about their energetic body, because the empathic part is the energetic part. You know, so we have our five senses and the physical realm and Plato was the one who defined this and that's over 2000 years ago. And so you can see people who are primarily only living their life through the five senses of the physical realm. But then you have the other end of that is the intuitive senses is the energetic realm. And so intuition is really your ability to read energy. And that's that sense we get when we go in a room or we meet a person or we have a premonition. You, It's not like some mysterious thing has visited you. It is your own energy body intercepting messages or information and bringing it to you through your body or through your emotions or through your thoughts. 
And it's up to you to know yourself so well to know what is mine and what is not. Right. And and can you explain a little bit more about what you, you mean about that? I know you offer a couple of examples in the book. One is touching somebody's hand as they hand you back a passport. Is that kind of understanding what energy is yours versus that person's or? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, you have to turn inward. If you identify as an empath, you're on a spiritual path. And what I mean by that is your senses and trying to master not manage or control, but to master your own uh, sensory perception and intuition is, you know, it's affording you to go in, to ask yourself, is this mine? Meaning, did I create this thought? Is it reasonable that I would have this emotional experience right now? And to know your story so well, that when you do feel your mood change, or you feel suddenly a body part feel a little bit off, you can say, you know, in pretty much real time, this isn't mine. And so you can have that awareness and not be tripped up or confused. We go by the default that if we feel it, it must be ours. But as an empath, that default is going to really lead you into many years of confusion and not feeling like you belong in your own body. Right. Because sometimes energy or things that you run into aren't yours, but you're picking up in a space or in the history of a home or a space or that you've crossed paths with someone and they've brought an energy into a room and you can sense it. It's not like it's a bad meeting. It could just be this person (laughs) is bringing something in with them that you're sensing. And that's kind of the difference. Right. And I think for myself, another part of my journey was when I was aware I was empathic, you know, and I do say there's this arc of being a overwhelmed empathic person to one that you're a functional empath and you've accepted that this is hardwired into you and it's actually an act of service and guidance. But when I was merely just an empath and aware that I could pick up stuff, I was always quick to assume something was wrong with somebody else. Yeah. Or I would project a negative, oh, that person, or, or, or that room or that environment. And that's not a spiritual path where you're looking outwardly and constantly judging and wanting to put uh, barriers between you and that and not instead of boundaries early on when you're not developed or you're unaware there is this period of creating barriers to give yourself a sense of safety Mm -hmm. but it also isolates you and, and you're in your own made bunker and barricaded from you know, having real uh, relationships or connections. Right. Yeah. Well, and as you're saying that, I'm thinking, so the, the theme for season seven here, and it seems to be really resonating with people, is about establishing intentional comfort. And I think there's that space right there where you're, where if as an empath, and maybe you're brand new to it, some of it might be that you do hunker down and create that safety. But I imagine... I mean, and that's probably good for a little while until you understand how to to dive in a little deeper and work with it. But once you know you can tap into this, how do you create spaces or times or a break from it? Like, how do you create the intentional comfort of always feeling everything versus, you know, also taking a break? I do feel that, or from my own experience, that you will shift out of feeling everything 
once you start accepting that this is part of your ability to communicate and have a conversation with the environment, it's almost like the noise gets louder and louder until it gets your attention. So there is that. And what really helped me come away from judging and projecting externally onto people was when I started to understand the mechanism of our empathic receptivity is um, there were several things I, I discovered, but one was that most of what we pick up is unprocessed emotions or thoughts from people, which means that they had no intention and they probably have no idea that their thoughts and emotions are in a space where somebody who is sensitive can pick it up. So it's not malicious. It's not intended to the person who's receiving it um, directly. And so you can begin to have compassion mm -hmm. for what you pick up because it, it's not directed to you. Once you realize what you may feel is not necessarily yours, it gives you the opportunity to actually just witness it. And that's a very empowered place to come from when you interact with um, energetic impressions. Yeah. And there's a couple things I'm thinking of there. One, are em or empathetic people, highly sensitive people, more likely to be people that also feel like they kind of need to do something at first about the energy? Meaning like, are we more likely to be rescuers and helpers and we want to smooth it over? Is that a thing? Yes. Well, I want you use the word empathetic and oh yeah, uh, I would say empathic. Um, empathetic is with empathy and empathic is with empath. And there is, you know, once you understand that, oh, I can pick up, this must mean I need to do something. <laughs> I need to go, you know, rescue. But there was an accident on the side of the road and you came along. There are many things that you could do to assist. And one is simply call. 911. Mm -hmm. And that's as important as anything else. And so when you realize that you can pick up things, sometimes you don't know the origin of what you're feeling. Mm -hmm. This is also the arc of going from being empathic to an empath, because by nature, our empathic nature, our senses in general are passive. It's a one way channel that comes into us that we then have to process based right. on our life experiences. So you smell something, you didn't go looking for a smell, it came to you. And empathic receptivity is also passive. You may not know the origin of what you're smelling, but you could go investigate. And when you do that, you've gone into an active role. And so when you are an empathic person who has picked up something and you are curious and you want to go engage it, you want to interact with it, you have now stepped into the realm of what I call as an empath. So if you were to tell me I'm an empath, I would hope that would mean that you understand that you are intuitive and you pick up things from your environment and you can be very intentional and ethical with what you do with that information. And that's why part of my, I guess, soapbox in my book, and maybe you pick this up, is I do think there's at right now almost an over-identification with the word empath. And I would really ask anyone who is using the label empath to ask themselves, where did they hear it? What do they think it means? Does it really reflect their abilities and their awareness? And because I think if you are saying I am an empath and you're not quite 
to that understanding of the energetic realm, you are attracting a lot of things towards you because it's taking you at your word. And, and the physical realm is about language in form. And so we courier from the energetic to the physical with language. So, you know, I'm not telling people they're not empaths. I'm just, if they're overwhelmed, if they are somebody who said, oh, I'm so empathic, I'm overwhelmed and I don't know what to do. Then I would say, uh, don't use that label then. Go back to being empathic. Learn, learn what are your emotions and your thoughts and how are you embodying that and how are you healing your own um, story. Mm. And then you have more to be available with when you get to feeling like you can engage and offer compassion. Yeah, that's you powerful. You have to offer compassion first to yourself, truly, to be a functional empath. Yeah. And that is super powerful. Just the idea that if we're calling ourselves something, then mm-hmm. be ready for what that means because the universe is then kind of what reverberating with that title yeah. because that word has power. And, and so be sure you... <laughs> know what you're calling yourself well and it's a noun a person place thing whereas an empathic reception is a, a verb it's an action sure you know, we're all born sensitive and for those who are empathic you're on a spiritual path and it's because your sensitivities are going to be showing up as guidance but a lot of times people don't think of sensitivities as guidance they think of something they have to manage i feel like part of the path is understanding what you're stepping, and I mean this in a positive way, but like what you're stepping into for the fullness of your life. And then also realizing that it does take a certain amount of stepping back to let yourself kind of grow into that space. Like it's like that two steps forward, one step back yeah. almost as, as this journey goes. That's, that is super, super interesting. Well, and it's even like in development, child development, a child will have started to maybe walk and then something else is coming on and they are no longer as stable. It's like we put pause on one thing as one thing develops and comes, you know? Yeah. So one of the things I appreciated in your book was that you talked about holding energy and holding space and how they're two different things. And I had never really thought about this. <laughs> Could you explain those two things? Cause I think it's especially helpful for anyone who gleans energy from people and they don't know how to release it when they're working with them through maybe their own personal issues or, or whatever it is. Like we talk about holding space a lot, but maybe that's not actually what we mean is what I'm gathering from your book. It is tricky. I, I, you hear these terms a lot and I'm really somebody who wants to, again, understand what does that mean energetically? Because yeah. Everything starts energetically and manifests physically. So for me, if I hear someone talk about a term or a thing, I want to know what does that really look like energetically. And that's why I also talk in the book about the difference between observe and witness. I like to make distinctions. And so holding space versus holding energy is that, you know, when you're holding energy, you have to, to hold something, you have to contract. You have to, you know, in a way, brace or contain something. And that's not very flowing. (laughs) And it doesn't Mm -hmm. allow a lot of circulation. If you can imagine holding space being like this container that has, you can put into it, whatever you need to like a pot, a plant, you have a potted plant, it has soil, it needs this, it needs that, needs some sun. And you, you, 
you look after it and you nurture it. And then you might see that it actually needs a bigger container because the size of the container is stunting its growth. So if holding space for someone, you must be in tune to really what does that look like for that person? And sometimes saying a prayer is enough because holding space takes attention. It takes uh, commitment. Mm -hmm. And sometimes if you're holding space for a client and they're not following through with doing what they need to do to like emulate all of that, which is in that container, that's an off balance. Then it's you holding a lot of energy for a life that's actually not forming inside there. I had a client once who, I didn't write this in the book. I had at one point, but it came out. And he was, he had gone to a lot of different therapists and he was, somebody had recommended he comes to me. And I get a lot of people who are desperate or like, let's try her. So he had a pattern where, you know, he was very self-destructive and he had a lot that was in his life that, you know, kind of allowed him to think he could do that to himself. And he would call at odd hours and desperate and wanting me to pray for him or do energy work or whatnot. And I eventually came to a point where I said to him, why are you willing to ask me to do something for you that you will not do for yourself? Because he had taken himself so far out of the equation of his own healing wanting other people, other techniques, therapies to do it magically for him, not realizing the only person who can process his life is himself. Mm. So when you're holding space as a person who works with other people, you know, really be mindful. How much of that do you need to be doing? I think it's great to hold space for your practice because that's directly related to you and what type of clients you want in that space or what is the overall sensation or experience that you hope your practice provides to people. Thank you. And I think it's interesting because probably everybody that's even been in a service-based business has had that same kind of thing where you enter into a relationship and if it's off balance, Mm. it does, it feels very strange when people are asking you to do whatever it is that maybe they won't do for themselves. Keep to a deadline whatever it is. <laughs> it's very yeah. interesting. And I think that is where the energetic piece of it becomes too much. Like it's hard to feel good about a relationship when it isn't, when it isn't honored on both sides. Right. And I would offer one more kind of just a tip. If you're working with people and the session's done and you find yourself still thinking about that person and their problems after the working hours are done or a day or two later, energetically there's been a cord that's been created. And this happens. People in, in therapeutic things project onto you. In the energetic realm, you'll hear people talk often about cutting cords. And, and yes, that's one technique, but what I have found is if you'd use something as abruptly as that, it's still fear-based. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the relationship cord doesn't come back or the contact cord doesn't reappear, especially if it's a habit. So what I like to, you know, suggest to people is, again, looking at the mechanics. Why is there a cord present at all? Because if a cord creates, it's because you've allowed it. So you have to look at yourself and do you need to be needed? Do you need to um, be the rescuer? But in addition to that, the person who's cording into you has mistaken you for 
a resource. They, it's, it's in a strange form of flattery that mm -hmm. they perceive on some level that you have something they need or want. And so rather than just ripping this cord out and not to say screw you, but instead I usually say, um, you've mistaken me for your source. I am not that. I wish you well. And I lift it up vertically to, so that they may have an opportunity to connect to their own source. And that, that's a much more compassionate way. And it's less likely that the cord will reappear because right. you've given them what they were looking for. Even if it's just intentional, like you're intending for them to find that vertical connection to a source and them, the, the, their true self. Yes. That's, isn't that interesting too? And is that something that you would actually say to someone, or is that something that you set an intention for after a call or as you notice it popping up for yourself where you're like, this feels like they're courting to me. So yeah, how do I let this go? Yeah. It, it would be in meditation. It would okay. be in just even intentional journaling saying yeah. I'm aware that there is this kind of dynamic between me and this person. I tend to be thinking about their problems as if I'm processing it. Mm -hmm. And there obviously is an energetic cord running between us. Yeah. And why would that be? Because you have to do the self-reflection. Again, if we always just blame the external world as the initiator, uh, that takes away our own growth opportunity. Right. Yes. And it is so important to be able to do the self-reflective work of what about that conversation was triggering or what about it makes me feel like I have to take it on or like whatever it is. And thank you for the, the the tips and the ideas of like, how do you release that, that draw? I love that in your book, you also reference clearing your message board of how to release maybe some of the things that are coming to you as an empath that are maybe unprocessed things that other people are bringing you know, just into your sphere. Could you tell us more about the message board idea and how it works? Yeah. So one of the things I discovered is that the sponge is actually our mascot. We need to be aware of it. When we pick up something in the environment energetically, this expands like a foot or two, almost like in a suitcase where you have an expander zipper and you can get a couple more inches of a volume in there. Well, our energy fields will do this. And this is kind of also what helped me realize that my empathic nature is never putting me at a disadvantage. If anything, it's protecting me and it holds it, the space in between, <laughs> between me and whoever's emitted this. And it may feel like it's actually on you or you're feeling the emotion or you're having the thought or you're having that physical glitch but energetically, it's not, it's, it's a, the, the, the difference between the physical realm and the energetic realm. So even though you feel like it's right here, it's actually outside your energy fields being held in the space or the sponge. And once you acknowledge, oh, I've picked up something, or I think that this is not mine. I'm just picking up on this. The quickest way to clear is just to acknowledge it because what you're doing is you're acknowledging your body's wisdom and your energetic wisdom, and it's trying to give you information. And sometimes it's just random mundane things. And other times it's stuff that really makes you take note. And then you're like, okay, I might need to do something more around this. Like, I think this is what's so great is we get to customize how we want to clear ourselves. 
And I have several. One is thinking of it as a chalkboard and an eraser. And then I clap the eraser things, make sure you get all the dust out. Or a quick one, especially if you don't have a lot of time to be a little bit meditative, like you're driving or something, is if you tighten up your muscles, hold your breath and blow it out. And that kind of resets. It's like you are sending a signal. This is what this means. Clear that off. And, and, and anyone can do that. That doesn't take going into a deep meditative state. And the other thing is I love to use the imagery of waterfalls and even wax and honey dripping me, like making it just a big, especially if, if I feel clunky, like I've gone through a big, large public space and, you know, it's just like lint almost. I'll do like a honey or a wax thing and imagine it just being cleared off that way. I like that. And isn't that interesting? Because there are times when you walk through a public space and you just on the other side, you feel like, what was that? (laughs) Yeah, I never really even thought about it. Sometimes in life, there's people that you just maybe have had a relationship with and you just know it's time to let go. And and I feel like maybe as as someone who's sensitive, sometimes it's hard. They're like, they're in the sponge. (laughs) Like they're really sticky and is there a way to release those relationships that's loving? Do you have any tips on that? I'm a big journaler and automatic writing. And I, I will give another tip. Uh, if you bless your journal, blessing something energetically lifts it into service. Um, and if you write an intention about what this journal is to provide for you, it really helps it come out of being a monologue and into a dialogue. And I often say too, when you're able to hear yourself, that's really when healing begins. When you realize this relationship has run its course, you start asking yourself and being curious, well, what did this represent, this relationship? What did it bring to you? What did you provide to them? If it's in balance and you still really want this person in your life, then you need to address why it's out of balance and what steps you might have to do to get it in balance, whether that's a conversation or invoking that this is what you want to manifest. But if it's truly something that you feel that, and not to be too negative, but there can be parasitic relationships, which you need to rid yourself of. Again, ask yourself, why is the person in your life? How are you encouraging it? Um, Have you not communicated something to them that they need to hear Mm -hmm. so that they can understand for themselves that it is in a sustainable relationship? It's always coming back to the heart and the compassion, you know, just like people who are going to have a meeting. If you sit down and meditate, even just 15 minutes ahead of time, what you want to experience from this, you might not know what the outcome is, but you know how you want to feel Mm -hmm. because feeling is going to be the fuel to manifesting. So if you can know how you want to feel, what is the desirable feeling that you would have at the end of really lean into that? What would it feel like to not have this person in your life? What would it feel like to not have this person in your life and know that they are still fine and well and on their own path and you do not have to take care of them or nurture them in any way? So it's that inner dialogue again about understanding how can you compassionately stand your ground have your own authority and have the relationships that you want. And it strikes me too, that the piece of the cord and thinking about like releasing the cord, because clearly there's still a connection there, maybe through the, the 
the time of the pandemic when things have become very clear that like this is working and this isn't, there's probably a lot of people who are unfortunately in that same kind of position where it's like, yeah, maybe I'm done with this. I can move on. And it might take them a little bit longer to understand that, but this is part of your ability to create boundaries mm-hmm. and you know, know that there's a threshold on that boundary. If you could write code for your boundary, what would be the threshold? Because when I clear a house or I clear my own house, I have a threshold at my door where I really have set intention of the frequencies and the behavior and the consciousness that I would like to be in my house because your house is symbolic of your body mm-hmm. and your body houses your soul. One of the, the interviews just ahead of when this one will go up is with a, a woman who, uh, Jacqueline Jackson, who does, sorry, real estate appraisals, but she also does home healings. Like mm-hmm. what a beautiful two combo kind of business. And we talked a little bit about like, how do you air out some of the strange energy that maybe was in a house when you bought it? And I I love that, that you're bringing it to that as well, because usually we buy a house that wasn't built for us or that we didn't build. So there's probably something here that needs or could benefit from clearing out, but also having spent so much time in our homes over the last year and a half ish, like it's maybe it's time for a little energetic clearing for all of us. Yeah. If somebody wants to buy your amazing book, or I know you also offer courses and other things, how can they find you? And, and what do you have uh, going on in the next little bit? My website is www.smhovum.com. And right now the front page is really featuring my book. There's also an audiobook um, through Audible or Chirp. And I've put three meditations on the back of the um, audiobook. And if you read the, the physical book, there's a link there that would take you to it as well. It's, it has subtle body clearings and it has just a relaxation one. And I do workshops during the pandemic and everything. All of that has been put on hold. And if anybody's interested in hosting one of my workshops, you know, just reach out. Ideally, they work best if it's 10 or more people. And I've also do private clients I'm pretty busy, but you never know if you feel inclined to work with me, then, you know, just put in a submission on the form there. And I will put the links to all that in the show notes for this episode. And of course, a link to your book. Um, Yeah. And then what are three ways that you can think of to jumpstart joy in your life, in the world or in other people's lives? Ted Lasso as a TV show. If you have not watched it, I haven't, but clearly I need to. Yeah. It just emanates joy. I, I have to say that, you know, you can tell that you are in joy when you are smiling and you don't, you don't even consciously know that you're smiling. And when I watched Ted Lasso, there were so many times that my husband and I were just beaming because it was so delightful. And I really do combine delight and joy together it's almost like delight is a precursor to joy coming in. So yes, that's being a consumer, but it really enlivened us. And this is something you'd have to go investigate, but radiant circuits are a part of your energy system. And Donna Eden, who is a fairly well-known energy um, institution, actually, um, 
It's called the Eden Method, but she provides so much free content on YouTube. And there's so many different practitioners who uh, post free videos as well. But if you look up Trace Your Radiant Circuits, and if you committed to just give you, give you 20 days, 30 days, and it may seem like really odd to you if you've not been aware of meridians and energy systems, but when you're tracing your energy, it's just with your hands because you know, you're electromagnetic. The videos are usually no longer than 12 minutes. And it's just using your body and tracing these radiant circuits. And especially if you are in the drudgery of life, if you find that even joyful, happy people annoy you because you know that can happen. You can be so miserable that seeing other people's happiness actually is a turnoff. And so if you are like annoyed initially when you're watching this, and because Donna Eden is very joyful, <laughs> that's an indicator that your vibratory rate is pretty low. And so just go with it. And I would love to know if you put 20 days, 30 days, just tracing your radiant circuits, what is the outcome at the end of the month? Amazing. I have not heard of this. So I'm going to go look it up and I'll link it up for everybody. Um, I'm really excited to try it because I love energy work. So thank you very much for suggesting it. And is there anything else you'd like to add as we close this out, Signey? No, but this has been a really enjoyable conversation. I just hope that your listeners, if they are sensitive, that they will find the source of their sensitivities. And if they need support, that they seek out the appropriate forum for that, you know, whether it's for intuitive, energetic awareness, or if it's about highly sensitive issues, you know, just know that right now in this time and age, there is so much opening up and you're opening up and you're probably feeling a lot of what's going on energetically in the mass consciousness. So be tender with yourself. Know that everyone else that you may be feeling they're a bit overwhelmed, um, but you don't have to identify with it. Know who you are and be such. You can feel somebody else being overwhelmed, but it doesn't mean you have to be overwhelmed. Thank you. Mm, thank you so much for joining us. This has been such a delight. Thank you. Signe, thank you so much for joining us this week. It was such a treat to have you on the show. I really loved getting to dive into this space of exploring what it means to be a functional empath, exploring what it means to identify as a highly sensitive person, the power of our words uh, and what we choose to call things, and also starting to understand what does it mean? How do we navigate through the space of being an empath or an HSP in everyday life? So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. If you want to find out more about Signe or her book or work with her, you can find everything you need to know at the website or in the episode notes for this episode. You can go to jumpstartyourjoy.com or just tap through in your podcasting app and you can find everything there. And next week on the show, I'm so excited because Tammy Hackbarth of 100% Guilt-Free Self-Care Podcast will be joining me. We are talking about the dance in between of having to work through discomfort to find our way to comfort. And of course, she's a self-care specialist. She runs the amazing Deferred Maintenance Program, which I just really love taking last year. And so I can't wait to have her back on. We always have great conversations. I hope you'll come on back for that. And until then, I hope that your day is filled with so much joy. <laughs>